I love that song because of the, the truth of that song. Go figure. Um, that, that what we need, and, and hope, I think a lot of the reason that maybe a lot of you come here is that when you get truth and you get that truth plugged into your, into your heart, into your life, um, it counteracts all those lies that you hear throughout the week. And, and so for some of you, maybe you don't dig into Scripture too much on your own yet, and so then you hear truth here, and it, and it, it deconstructs all those lies that you've been believing for a week. And then you feel freedom from that, because what truth, what Scripture says, is that the truth will set you free. When, when you believe truth, even in that song, the things like that you are healed, you are loved, you are His, um, like all those things. So every time that we come in here, it's not, the goal is not just so you would listen to some, something from the Bible, just so that you would maybe memorize that one day or whatever, or this is a good lesson, this makes me feel better about myself, but that truth would counteract all the lies that you hear in your life, and it would destroy all those lies that you hear in your life and in your week and in your day so that you could actually live free. Uh, and, and so that's, that's, I don't know why you're here, that's why I'm here. Is that, that hopefully you would see that the truth can give you a lot of freedom from a lot of things in your life, a lot of the things that weigh you down, that the truth frees us from those things on lots of different levels. Um, and so tonight we are actually wrapping up all of 2 Timothy. We've been in 2 Timothy all semester. Um, tonight's the last section of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 22. And so this is the end um, of this series through 2 Timothy tonight. And so uh, I wanted to start by... I guess just recapping a little bit of where we've been uh, in case you haven't been with us or you're wondering what this is all about. But again, 2 Timothy is a letter written to this guy, Timothy, from another guy named Paul, right? And, and Paul and Timothy spent a lot of time together. Paul discipled Timothy. He taught, them, he taught him about the gospel and living it out and what that looks like in his life um, and walked through a lot of life with him. Um, and they did a lot of uh, ministry together. They, they went on missionary journeys together to set up churches um, to tell people about the gospel and then put people in charge in that area and then move on to the next area. Tell people about the gospel once they believed in Christ, put them in, and put some people in charge in that area and they kept doing that. And then eventually uh, Paul set, left Timothy in, in Ephesus to stay there to lead the church there in Ephesus. So Paul's writing to Timothy in Ephesus as he's in Rome and he's been arrested uh, because of preaching the gospel and telling people about Jesus. And so he gets arrested for that. He's in jail as he's writing this, and he knows that he is going to die soon. He knows that pretty soon he will be killed for telling people about Jesus. They will, they will cut his head off. Like, he knows that's coming. And so as he's writing this, that's where he's at. That's the place that Paul's at. So that as we've been talking about that all semester, that's... He's trying to tell Timothy, this guy, he's spent a ton of time with this guy that he loves. He's trying to, and this guy that's, that's 
leading this church in Ephesus. He's trying to remind him of the things that matter uh, and encourage him. As, you know, we have, what, like 25 leaders that come every week that, that lead your groups. And one of the things that I, that I try to do, and I can always do a better job, but one of the things that I try to do is I try to send them encouragement on somewhat of a regular basis because it gets tiring doing ministry. It gets tiring when, you know, the main part of doing ministry and telling people about Jesus is, one, being patient enough until they get it and understand, like, when I apply these things to my life, that this actually does make a difference and being patient in that. And the other side of that is like when you actually are real with your leaders, there's a lot of weight. When you, when you share real things, those are weighty things. That, and because we actually care about you, that weighs on our hearts because we don't want to see you have to deal with some of the stuff that you have to deal with. And so one of my goals in the, in the role that, that I'm in is to encourage them as much as I can. Like that what you're doing matters, that what you're doing uh, is a good thing and that try to encourage them in the truth of this is worthwhile. And so essentially Paul's doing that with Timothy. He didn't have text messages then, so he had to like write it down on a scroll and then send it, you know. Um, and so he's writing this to Timothy to encourage him on, on what really matters because there's lots of people that aren't believing in Christ at this point. Lots of people that are false teachers like we've talked about. Lots of people opposing the gospel including the main guy that's in charge in Rome, he's killing Christians simply because they're trying to tell people about Jesus. And uh, so we talked about at the very beginning of this semester, this idea of Paul discipling Timothy, being what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow Christ is where we started this semester. And then the next week we talked about feeding the flame. So like of your faith, of your love for Christ, keep throwing stuff in the fire that that would build. So keep throwing truth um, in there so that you would, you believe who Christ is, you believe who Jesus is, you believe who God is, and you would keep feeding this flame of your faith and of your love for Christ. Uh, and then the next week we talked about being unashamed um, when Jamal preached the first time, being unashamed of the gospel. Uh, living a life that's unashamed of the gospel because that's what actually saves people. Uh, again, these are all things that Paul is writing to Timothy. And he was talking about suffering. There's so many people around them at this time in life that are suffering for the gospel. And so he's reminding them, and, and, and like Jesus was making us aware of this, this, this deal in Garissa in Kenya, uh, there are people still today, even if they're not like right next door, uh, that suffer for the gospel, that, that people get killed because of the name of Christ. But he's saying that, that and this was in 2 Timothy chapter 2, that, that when we suffer, we suffer with purpose. Uh, that if you are a disciple, you will suffer. So if you are following Christ, what Scripture promises is that you will suffer if you are following Christ. Uh, but that that suffering is worth it and it's not meaningless. And then the next week we talked about the reason to endure through all of these things. The reason that we can actually endure through the suffering is because God is always faithful. Even when we are faithless, he is always faithful. Again, things that, that, that Paul is reminding Timothy in all of this. And then the next week we talked about how much words matter, how much the word of God itself matters, and then how much your words matter. The things that you speak every day bring life to people or bring death to people. Uh, 
And Paul was reminding Timothy of that. And then overcoming opposition. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be people that oppose you. There's going to be people that oppose the truth. And so we need to guard our hearts. We need to flee from sin. Uh, we need to follow the truth and not follow our hearts because that's stupid, right? Uh, hopefully you got that from that week at least. Uh, following your heart, is, it may be cute sounding, but it's deadly. Uh, Abide in the truth. Second Timothy in chapter, chapter 3, uh, talking about abiding in the truth. What are you abiding in? And, and that all Scripture is breathed out by God and it's useful for you. Um, and then last week, last time that we were here, uh, Jamal was talking about the, focusing on the end, focusing on the finish line, focusing on the end goal, keeping the end in mind um, to, in order to get through all this stuff in the middle. Uh, and so now, tonight, we're going we're gonna to end in Second Timothy. Um, 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 22. Um, we'll start in verse 9. We'll go 9 through 15 and talk about those verses first. Um, it says, do your best, or make every effort, some, some versions say, do your best to come to me soon. So this is Paul talking to Timothy. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, say that ten times fast. Um, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him, you yourself, uh, for he strongly opposed our message. So it's like this list of names, right? Again, Paul is knowing at this point that he is close to death. And so how, how does he start off this section of this letter? He says, do your best, which I don't think that translation makes this very clear. He, I like the translation that says, make every effort. Because the words there, what he is saying is like, this is urgent. This is like, hey, uh, Timothy, I love you, and you're really close to me, and I'm about to die, and I really want you here with me. It's not like, hey, if you could come, that'd be awesome. Uh, it's like, I'm going to die. Before I die, I'd like to have you here with me. So, so please, make every effort. I mean, even when you think about that phrase, make every effort. Everything that you could possibly do to make it here, do that. I don't care what you have to do. Just please get here. And then you, you begin to see even more so, and we talked about this at the beginning, but this is where it all comes from, is that you begin to see even more so why Paul is so passionate about that. Is, is he's, then he goes into this list of people that have, have left him. Uh, and so talk, first he talks about Demas, and then he says this guy who was in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. When I was studying this, a lot of people say, and they don't know for sure, but um, due to a lot of different reasons, they, they think Thessalonica is, is Demas' hometown. Um, and so basically you get this idea that this guy leaves just to go somewhere comfortable and, and go somewhere where he feels like he's, he's comfortable. Um, but again, these guys aren't just leaving just because they're like bored. They're leaving because people are getting killed for this, right? That Paul's in jail for preaching Christ. He's in jail for preaching Christ and these other believers in Rome with him, there's a decent amount of them leaving. And so you get this all throughout these last verses here. 
that we're going through, this, this feeling that Paul is, feels super alone. Like I don't, most of you probably at some point in your life have felt alone. Like even if it's like nobody understands my situation, nobody gets me, like you just feel alone. Paul feels not only alone, but just deserted by other people that, that were around him, other people that were a part of his community. Um, and so this guy, again, he, he says, because he was in love with this present world, this idea that he, it could be a couple things. It could be just like comfort, like I just want to be comfortable and I don't want to be suffering for this. It could just be like, I just want to save my life. Like I don't, I don't want to die for this, and so I'm going to leave this town. Um, and then these next two guys that he talks about, they're actually, especially Titus, and I think it's the same for the other guy, that they're actually going and they left to do ministry somewhere else. They're not necessarily, it's not like he's necessarily angry at them or that they left on bad terms or anything like that, that they're leaving to do ministry elsewhere. And then he says, Luke alone is with me. Uh, and so he has this guy Luke with him, uh, which is, Luke that, that writes the Gospel of Luke and, and other parts of the Bible as well. And then Mark, he asked, he asked Timothy, he says, bring Mark with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. So what you do see is that Paul does have some guys that he like, that he trusts and that he knows. Like if I call on Mark and I have him come with you, he'll come and he'll be here and he'll be bold, just as bold as me. Uh, and so one thing that I'm going to get to by the end of this is, is how important community is. Like when, you, when we're going through this, just be thinking about that. How important community is. So we have a, a large group of people that come here, right? But in this large group of people, there are probably specific people that you know like, hey, if life is really crappy for me right now and I'm going to break down and cry about something, I know this person and this person aren't going to run away from me for that. Like they're going to actually come and listen and actually care about me. Uh, I hope you have that in here. That's one of the, the, the big goals of, of this and, and refuge is that you would be able to come to a place where you, where you get some of this healthy biblical community, people that would walk through life with you, whether it's great or whether it's horrible, that they would care. And so what you see in Paul's life, he does have some guys that he trusts completely. Luke's standing there with him. Uh, Mark, he says, bring Mark, and obviously he trusts Timothy a ton, and he wants Timothy to come and be there with him. He has people that he can lean on. Community is so key to living your life for Christ. When things get tough, when things get hard, you need other people to lean on. You need to be able to go to people and say, this is what's going on in my life, I need you. You need to be able to be open enough, like Paul, to say, whoever that person is for you, whatever their name is, make every effort to get here, please. I need you right now in my life. And I need people, again, what you see for, for Luke and for Mark and these guys that Paul is calling out in this positive way is that these are going to be guys that he knows, even if there's opposition against them in Rome, even if there's people coming at them in Rome, even if there's people that want to throw Luke and Mark in prison or want to kill them, that they are all about following Christ no matter what. And then he mentions uh, Tychicus, however you want to say that. He sent him to Ephesus. And so there's really, uh, 
he sent this guy away. So he's mentioning all these people that are leaving, but Paul actually sent this guy away, and most likely it was to replace Timothy so that Timothy could come see him. So Timothy's over this church in Ephesus. Then he sends this other guy to kind of take his place so Timothy can come and be with him. And this is one of my favorite parts in all of this, verse 13. Uh, when you come, if you could bring my coat uh, that I left with Carpus, also the books that I left and the parchments, especially the parchments. So like my favorite books that I want to study, most likely it's like some scripture, some Old Testament stuff. Um, but obviously some stuff that he wants to study, he wants to read up on even as he's about to die. Like, I, wanna, I want these books, that I, and, and if you could bring my coat, because it's, it's, I guess it's getting cold, you know? But he's like, I left my coat there. If you could just grab that for me. You know, you can't t again, you can't like text that, so you like write people in a letter. Like, oh yeah, my coat. Uh, I've been missing it. Um, so, just like normal people, you know? Uh, and then he says, Alexander the coppersmith did, great, did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself. For he strongly opposed our message. So again, as we've seen all throughout 2 Timothy, there, there's this reoccurring theme of opposition. Like as you follow Christ, people are going to oppose you. As you actually live for Christ, people will come against you. And so don't, one, don't be surprised. We've talked about that a lot. Don't be surprised that as you're actually following Christ and living for him, that you get opposition, that you get people that, that come after you. But what I, another thing that you learned from Paul in this that didn't necessarily come out as clearly the rest of, of 2 Timothy, he says, so he calls out this guy just to warn Timothy, like, hey, just so you know, he's not on our team, right? Uh, and watch out for this guy because he will try to destroy you. And, and the, when I was talking to somebody about this, I, my thought was, uh, hey, you know, uh, when you're on campus, uh, those guys from the Church of Wells, they're not on our team. They may call themselves a church and they may say that they, they may be able to speak a lot of scripture and they can. But those of you who have been at SFA and have seen these people from the Church of Wells that come and just preach at people, and they preach, a, they, they do like speak a ton of truth. If you're, it's, it's a ton of things memorized from the Bible. But just because you have the Bible memorized doesn't mean that you follow Christ. But I would say, I, if I was writing a letter to somebody, I would say, hey, these guys that come on campus from the Church of Wells don't. They're not on our team, just so you know that. They adamantly oppose the gospel when you get down to it for lots of different reasons. Uh, so beware of them because they will oppose you. I've been in conversations with those guys before and they believe that that church, those people in that church are the only believers in the entire world. That's what they believe. And so they believe each one of us, if you're not a part of their church, is not a believer. Uh, they will oppose you. So, so he's saying, but even though th these, these are enemies and these are opposition, what Paul says in here, he says, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. So what you see in Paul is like, I know these people are the opposition and I want to make you aware of that, but don't go attacking them and trying to get revenge on them yourself. The Lord will take care of that. Like the Lord will fight that battle. You don't have to try to take out your enemies. You don't have to try to uh, do that like he will he will fight that for you these people that oppose you Paul, Paul is saying the Lord will repay him obviously it doesn't say specifics but it says that this guy did him great harm you can hear a little 
Like, he's probably a little pissed about that, you know? Like, this is somebody that made me really, really mad. But that's not my battle to fight. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Just be aware of him and know that he's going to oppose you. If you, you when we read, in, uh, if you go back, if you go to 1 Timothy, which is right before 2 Timothy, First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, um, there's a good chance that this Alexander is the same Alexander mentioned in 1 Timothy. Uh, and he said this, and this is 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. And it says, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, Conscience, what some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Uh, so these guys that were like not only not following Christ, but they were probably misleading other people. Uh, but again, he says the Lord will take care of those people. I want you to know who they are, but the Lord will take care of it. And then this next section in verse 16, uh, 16 through 18. It says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, we're going to jump back up to that in a minute because that's like the main part of this that I want to talk about. Uh, so we're going to jump down to 19. Greet Prisca, or some versions say Priscilla and Aquila. Be sweet to be married couple that had rhyming names. Man, we're just Danny and Lauren. Shoot. Shoot. Lauren, one of the classes that Lauren teaches, uh, there's a married couple, one of the fitness classes. Their names are Clois and Lois pretty sweet. Uh, so make, maybe make that a life goal. I'm not saying you should just pick your spouse based, on, based off of that, but if you can find a spouse that's really a godly person and your first name's Ryan, that'd be awesome. Um, greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Awesome. Uh, Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best or make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do my boys Pudens and Linus and Claudia, and all the brothers. That's what it says, you know? Uh, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. It's a whole list of names again, right? Lots of names, like as you, as you long in the future think about kids' names, maybe you pull from the here, you know? Eubulus, I think, is a really good one. Maybe you should bring that name back, you know? Uh, so this list of people, uh, Priscilla and Aquila are both, you, you read in other parts of Scripture, they're, they're both tent makers like Paul was, and so they worked together and they did ministry together. Um, these other people are people that either, again, if you look at other places in Scripture, if you look in your Bible in 2 Timothy here and you see most Bibles now, um, they'll have like some kind of little letter by their names, probably, if they're mentioned somewhere else in the Bible. And then you can look up in the side uh, of your Bible there, and it can tell you where, the, where you would find their names in other parts of Scripture. But to save time, uh, some of these people went on missionary journeys with Paul. 
to set up churches. Some of these people he worked with and then he did mission with. Uh, some people he met there in Rome as he's in Rome and they're part of his community there in Rome. Uh, but all these people are a community of believers that he knows and that other believers know. And again, this, first, this last section and this, in that first section, 9 through 15, is what I want to pull from both of those. Like, community is so important as you try to follow Christ. As you try to live your life for Christ, there are going to be people that try to pull you down and there's going to be people that lift you up. And if you are constantly putting yourself in the middle of people that are constantly trying to pull you, da- pull you down and you're in, that, in the middle of that by yourself, don't be surprised if you get pulled down to their level. A lot of people like charge into those groups and like, I'm going to change this group for Christ and then you have good intentions, but you're the only one in the middle of that group, the only one trying to stand that line and try to actually live for Christ and you will get pulled down every time. You watch any movie where people get picked off and, and you're like any, like I think of Gladiator when they're, when they're, they're thrown in the middle and, and, and they're trying to survive this thing and they're not supposed to because it's set up for them to die. Uh, and then Maximus like gathers everybody around them, right? And they work as a team and they actually survive. The ones that get picked off right away are the ones that like try to do their own thing by themselves. Uh, if you're trying to do your own thing by yourself and you're trying to make things happen and be the only Christian, the only follower of Christ in your circle of people and try to save all those people and point them all to Christ, that sounds good, but it's really impractical and they're just going to pull you down to their level. I'm not saying don't ever hang out with people that don't know Christ. We're all called to love people, preach the gospel, and that has to happen. But you need a community of believers that know you, that you meet with regularly, that, that live life with you so that you can live this life well. Paul, who wrote so much of the Bible, he has a community of people that he trusts, that he loves. Even when people are abandoning him, he has people that he is writing to, that he is pleading with, that are, there are some people that are still there that are his small group, if you will, right? I don't know if that's what they called it back then. Um, I don't know. But it's a group that is smaller, so pretty good odds that they could have called that a small group, right? Uh, but he has people that he trusts, people that he can tell about, this is what's going on in my life, and those people that will encourage him and pick him up. Like when you look at the end of this, it's saying like these people are greeting Timothy, uh, these people are greeting you, uh, and he's letting letting them know that. Like, hey, oh, you're writing to Timothy, you just tell him, I said, what up? Put my name in the bottom, you know? So that's like what these people are doing. Like they want, they want Timothy to know like, hey, we're here too, you know, and we just want to say hi. Uh, but there's a community of people that love each other and that are living this, this mission together. We, what we talk about on staff regularly is basically two, two, two ideas, two aspects to Christianity and following Christ. Just family on mission. That we are a family of people that love each other and they're on mission together. That we are a family on mission, and that's what you see in this. Um, and, and the biggest chunk, what I would say, is the meat of this passage, this last part, 16 through 18. He said, at my first defense, this is Paul talking again, of course, my, my, my first defense, no one came to stand by me. What he's saying there is that whenever you're on trial, when you were on trial in Rome, there was like a pre-trial um, before you got in front of the actual officials um, in front of a smaller group of officials, and witnesses could come in 
and, and the person who's accused of a crime, witnesses could come in and, and plead on their behalf and say, like, so Paul's there. People that, that were friends with Paul, people that uh, witnessed what Paul was actually doing, they could stick up for him essentially in this public arena uh, and say, no, like, he wasn't, like, harming anybody. He wasn't, they could stick up for him. And he said nobody came to that. Nobody stood by his side at that time. And, and that may sound like, why wouldn't you stick up for your, for your boy, you know? Because you could die. <laughs> because if somebody came in there and they said, if, if they know, like, Christians are being killed just simply for following Christ and telling people about him, if I stick up for Paul and they know, like, I'm on his team, then there's a good chance that I'm going to be put in jail and I'm going to die as well. So he says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. And says, but all deserted me. So that's even Luke who's there with him. Um, these other guys that he mentions at the end, they all deserted me. But then he goes on to say, may it not be charged against them. So Paul, and I feel like in these verses, teaches us a lot about like interactions with people. But uh, he doesn't hold grudges against people, like even when they let him down. And so the other truth that I see in here is that know this, that everybody in your life will let you down. It's really encouraging, I know. I try to be super encouraging to you guys. Everybody in your life, every single person, every single person in your life will let you down at some point. Even if you don't believe that right now. If you have this, and most, most of the time it's because you have a false view of some of those people. I'm not saying that your parents aren't good or your best friend isn't a good person. I'm just saying, like, everybody's human and everybody's sinful and everybody's messed up and everybody cares about themselves a whole lot. And so because of that, they will let you down. Everybody in your life will let you down, but God himself. It says that my first defense, no one came to stand by me. Everyone deserted me. May that not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So when everybody does desert you, when you do feel all alone, when you're in that place where you feel like nobody gets you, nobody understands you, nobody really loves you, know that the Lord will stand by you always, that he's always there. He, this is something I tell my kids already when they get scared when we're, they're in their bed at night. And they come down and say, I had a bad dream. I was like, you haven't even been to sleep yet. You don't even know what a dream is. Um, no, that's just their excuse because they're scared. And so we pray with them and I try to tell them and I want them to get that truth now in their life that the Lord is always with you and he's always bigger than everything that you face. From being scared of the dark as a six-year-old to your dad dying of cancer. He's bigger than all of that and everything in between. Like, that, that is a truth of Scripture. That he is bigger than all of that stuff. And that he is always, 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 always standing by you. And so where, why, why can Paul be so quick to forgive people that, like, bailed on him? One, I think he understands, like, that's a hard thing to stand up for. And, uh, but he knows, like, what I really need more than anything else is the Lord, and He's always there with me. Again, not that people aren't important. They are, but you have to know that they're going to let you down. 
and this person, your small group leader, can't be your savior because they were never designed to be that. Your parents can't be your savior because one day you're going to find out some truth about them that destroys your whole view of them. And it's not because they're horrible people and they're trying to, it's because they're sinful and they're messed up. Just like I'm sinful and I'm messed up and you're sinful and you're messed up. And we do stupid things. And those things hurt the people around us. But God is always perfect. He's always true. All those things that we just sang. That song that is laced with truth. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. He's good. He is strong. He is there for us always. He is never caught off guard by anything. He will stand by you no matter what. When you're screaming and you're crying and you're, you're alone in your room and you're like, where is everybody? I feel so alone. Why isn't anybody here? God is right there. And if you let him, he will strengthen you and give you the strength that you need to get through that. And, and so Paul says, even when I'm like facing a trial for my death, like they're going to sentence me and nobody's there for that that the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that even when he's on trial facing this, he says, so that through me, he sees purpose even in that, that through me in this trial where I am speaking to these people, the message might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles might hear it. So he gets to tell his story of why he's in jail, which a big part of that story is the gospel. And he gets to tell that to all the people in Rome that he's in front of. And Rome at that time is the center of the world, and he knows that if this thing catches here, it's going to go across the whole world. And it says, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. And I've read lots of things on this because I was like, what is he talking about? And they said there's three possibilities, basically, of what he's referring to when he says the lion's mouth. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. One, uh, people got killed by lions. They would, like, put you in the Roman Colosseum and they would release lions and let them eat you up, right? So one, it's like rescue from the lion's mouth. And I heard like, maybe that's a possibility because he didn't go right then to die. But most likely he knew that because of the crimes that he committed, he was going to be beheaded and it wouldn't be like he was going to be fed to the lion. So that's probably not the most likely thing. Um, Nero, who's the guy in charge in Rome, uh, people refer to him as a lion sometimes. And so it could be that. Um, rescued from Nero's hand, essentially, but most likely, and it could be a little bit of all these things, you know, um, but most likely, part of, and First Peter, I think it is, um, Satan's referred to as a roaring lion that's seeking to devour you. There's this picture of Satan as a lion, and just Satan and on all the evil things that he could do, um, he's seeking to devour you, and I think that's the most, the best explanation, that I was rescued from the lion's mouth, so from these things, from all these evil things, because then he goes into this next verse, he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And when I was studying this, like this is the verse that I have highlighted, bold, underlined. The Lord will rescue me or deliver me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Another version I have says, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. So here's the, here's the point in Paul's mind. 
that he knew the truth that God would rescue him no matter what from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. So this is what I was praying with leaders tonight, um, when I was praying with the worship team tonight, like knowing that this is where we were going tonight, that, that this is why we have hope as believers. This is what makes you different as a Christian. If you believe who Christ is and that he is who he says he is, this is what makes things different for us. Because not only do we have the hope to get out of situations here on earth and hope to have purpose in the middle of situations here on earth, like, like I was just saying, we have hope to have purpose like Paul had purpose on his trial for his death to preach the gospel even more. But we also have the hope that when this life is done, even if somebody kills us for following Christ, then that just means that we are with Christ forever. And that he, he will rescue us from every, This is why Paul could say this, knowing that he was going to die. He didn't have some false hope that he was going to get rescued and, and like Timothy was going to come and then set him free from jail. But he knew that ultimately he was going to be ref, rescued from every evil deed and he would be brought safely into the heavenly kingdom of God. So what does he rescue us from? Every evil deed. Different places in Scripture talk about what, what we get rescued from. John 5.24 says we get eternal life, that we are delivered or rescued from death. John 10, 27 through 29 says we will never perish if we are followers of Christ and nobody can snatch us out of the Father's hand. Uh, Romans 8.29 says that we are uh, in right standing before God, that we are free from we are delivered from judgment and from punishment by God. We are free from sin and death. We are saved from condemnation. We are delivered from. If you look at Romans uh, eight thirty eight through thirty nine, we're delivered from death. We're delivered from demons, from fears, from worries, from the powers of hell, from anything in all creation that God that, that could try to separate us from God. That we are delivered from that. And then Philippians 3, 20 through 21 says we are, we are actually going to be delivered from our weak, mortal bodies. Some of you are like, my body's not weak. Comparatively, okay? It's, it's a lot weaker than a glorified body. All right, Bubba? I mean, yours is pretty strong. But it's weak, weaker than a glorified body, okay? Uh, so that we're going to be free from that. All these things that have limitations, these bodies that need sleep. So, so think about this. What am I delivered from? What is he saying? What am I rescued from in Christ? Any feeling like fatigue, tired, like just being tired. That horrible feeling when you're tired and you like can't go to sleep, horrible. I think it might be Lauren's least favorite feeling in the entire world, right? Uh... Anything from just being tired to the pain of watching somebody that you love die. The pain of seeing your parents fight and then get a divorce. The pain of fill in the blank. Physical pain. Sadness. The things that you worry about. All of you that are worried about finals and like, I got to get out of here and study. Worry. Anxiety. Anything like that. Any negative feeling that we have that in Christ we get freed from that. We get freed from that forever when we get to be with Christ. But you even can be free from that now by having life in Christ now and knowing that 
the weight of these things, the weight of the things of this world should never weigh us down because we're here for eternal things like Jamal was talking about the last time that we were here. Keeping our mind on eternal things and the things that actually matter take away the weight and the pressure of the things that don't really matter. And so when you have an accurate understanding, when you handle the Word of God accurately and know what these things are saying, this is what it's saying we're free from. Sure, we're free from that here and now, like the pressure of those things, but then one day we are going to be completely free of that where we never feel that anymore. And I don't know about you guys, but like being free from just worry and all the things that I worry about in this life, that is a nearly unimaginable thing in my mind. Like I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. Just the freedom of that. It's going to be like when we're on our cruise next week and I don't have any responsibilities and it's just me and my wife. That's what it's going to be like but it's going to be like for the rest of my life, you know? Just complete freedom from worry. That's what we're promised. And so uh, for me, as I've been studying in 2 Timothy all semester, like those are the things that I take away from this, that, that, that God is faithful. Like if I'm going to follow him, there's going to be people that oppose me. And there's going to be opposition, and it's going to be from people on this earth, and it's going to be from Satan himself, and it's going to be lies in my head. But if I know Scripture well and I can handle it accurately, I can fight against that stuff. And I can know that Jesus is bigger than all that. And that God is faithful, and that everything that he promises, he fulfills. And so when he promises that he's going to deliver me from every single evil that I can even think of, He's going to do that. I can count on that. Knowing truth sets me free to live this life fully and have joy in it. Uh, And that's my prayer for you guys, that that you would know truth and that that truth of who God is would set you free from living lives that weigh you down. 